The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting the good fight. Last week, I received notice that the Supreme Court of the State of Washington denied our petition for review in the Charlena Lyles case where the lower court sanctioned me and my co-counsel, Ed, $24,000. I was sanctioned and given an extraordinary sanction because I told the media that I was filing a motion and the motion asked the court to refer the case of Officer A to the prosecuting attorney to determine if he should face perjury charges for the killing of Charlena Lyles. And the specific issue was that he had stated under oath that he was inside of the apartment of Charlena Lyles when he shot her. Being inside with his back to the closed door was given by him and others as an excuse as to why other measures were not available, such as moving out of her way or employing a taser, baton, or some other device. That testimony conflicted directly with a surveillance video in the hallway of the apartment building that showed that the officer was out in the hallway shooting through a door into the apartment. Initially, the lawyers for the attorney in the city said that I was lying and Ed was lying. That's not what happened. Later, that story changed, and the admission was, well, okay, maybe he was in the hallway, but he didn't lie about it. He was just mistaken. Mistaken versus a lie. A mistake under oath, I guess, is not the same thing as a false statement. unless you look at the intent. But we never got to look at the intent because before anything else could happen, we were sanctioned, chastised, and uh, branded as being in violation of court rules. Supreme Court upheld that decision and then within the same breath issued a letter condemning racism in the in the aftermath or in the light of the BLM George Floyd protest movement. That letter coming on the heels of allowing uh, Ed and I to be sanctioned for asking that a police officer be looked into to commit perjury highlights the problems facing any movement that involves taking away the special protections awarded to police officers. It is very difficult, if not impossible, 
under most circumstances, to hold the police officer accountable just like a regular person would be. We tried to hold the police officer accountable for telling a falsehood, but the court found that we're the ones that were telling the falsehoods. I was angry, I was upset, I was dismayed, I was disgusted. Fill in the blanks, and that's how I felt. But being angry or bitter or humiliated or any other of those negative, horrible adjectives, to me as a trial lawyer, is it's not something that I just sit there and spend a lot of time doing. I don't believe in in uh, sulking, I don't believe in a lot of self-flagellation, and I don't even believe in being so mad at other people or entities that you should become bitter over it. I don't like bitterness, and if I feel it, it eats me up because it, it's, uh, it's just a negative emotion for me that I reject as much as possible. I don't want to be a person that has bitterness in my heart. And so just as the Supreme Court in their same breath, sanction, allowed the sanctions order to exist and then uh, seemed to chastise the very concept of racism in our courts and police departments. The ironing of that. Well, with the same type of speed, those feelings motivated me to take action. You can hear Nala running around. It's almost dinner time. Watching these protests in COVID times has been, I don't know what to say other than it's made me feel passive. I haven't been there. I've been wearing, you know, I've been staying at home. If I go out in public, I wear a mask. The thought of being in a crowd, not sure I could do that. Um, And so I've stayed at home. But I've been watching and feeling like, well, I want to do something. And so I came up with an idea that was fully embraced by my law firm. And that involved taking action. And the action that we decided to take was to provide pro bono services to peaceful protesters who were injured by excessive force of the police during these protests. And within days... My daughter Alicia had put up a website. My daughter Noelle had helped us create buttons so we could start with podcasts. A team from the office, Andrew, Melanie, Fred, Lisa, Jessica, Debbie, Elodie, and myself, and Andrew and myself, with two volunteers, law students, and several other uh, uh, lawyer volunteers who are on standby started taking calls. Pro bono, meaning we are not charging for that. What a revolutionary idea, isn't it? For lawyers not to charge to help a cause. Thousands of complaints have been filed against the police, but what good does does an actual complaint do? What does it actually do? 
unless you know the badge number, it doesn't get filed in the right folder. It just goes to the general complaint forms. And for, you know, it sends a message to the governor or to the police department that people are unhappy and they'll have investigations and and do their own investigations and maybe have somebody outside do investigations. But a complaint really is just another piece of data. Doesn't really result in a particular action on behalf of a particular person in general, especially in a mass context. But filing of a claim, a legal claim, and filing of a lawsuit is a different story. And that's what we decided to do was to support our protesters, to support their right to free speech, their First Amendment rights, to assemble, gather, protest, stand up for what they believe in peacefully. We are on that side. And the stories have started coming in. I'll save them maybe for a different podcast. But they're, they're devastating. Uh, I'm really, really not sure what to to think anymore. Um, I'm not even really sure that the regular news media is able to grasp the severity of uh, civil rights violations that are going on against our protesters. Right before picking up the microphone today, I, I was reading... Uh, the story of one such intake, and not the intake itself, but I was reading an account of a witness that's posted on social media, and the witness is a medic, and the medic was trying to treat the person that was injured, but the medic zone was under fire uh, uh, as far as being subject to uh, tear gassing, uh, flash bomb throwing of police the medical zone itself. I mean, even in wartime, doesn't the medical zone get protected from the enemy? And aren't police not supposed to be the enemies? I really am almost stunned more by that story than many of the other stories that I've read because I just see in my, in my mind's eye the medics who are on scene trying to render aid and are being fired upon. I just feel sick about that. And yet the practice of law continues. We have cases, we have meetings. My typical day has meetings and meetings, and then we're doing this pro bono effort, and then I'm talking to attorneys around the country that also want to do pro bono and that want to be part of a big coalition that we're building. We're creating grids. We're trying to help mobilize. And then one of the meetings I'm supposed to do at noon is for a really very... um, wonderful organization I belong to, a, a, a group of attorneys from around the country, senior attorneys, uh, most of them nationally renowned, um, high-functioning high, uh, group of uh, very capable attorneys. And I looked at the agenda, and their A through whatever it was, 
M, long agenda, number F, so that's A, B, A, B, C, D, E, F. Number six on the item was to talk about uh, uh, I can't breathe, but it was stated almost in a apologist tone, uh, not really a political discussion. Um, this probably should be considered by us. And here we've been having in our office meetings where the number one thing we say, even before we say, hello, how's everybody doing, is we talk about the protests going on that are, that are racking um, um, such terrible things in terms of racking, is that even a word? that are just every day we are experiencing here. Um, some violent, some not having violence, all of them uh, just being uh, a wave, wave after wave of wave of protest is number six on the agenda for this group. And... It's a privilege to be nominated and invited to a lot of these legal groups. Lawyers are very social, and there are so many legal groups uh, that you can belong to um, of all different types. There's groups that you belong to that you're invited to. There's groups that you have to be nominated to get into. There's groups that you have to meet all these requirements for. And then there's you know other groups that you don't really have to have any kind of special anything, and you can join it and just pay your fee. All of, uh, and all of that. This is a you know special invitation only group. So, as I looked at that agenda and saw number f- number six on it to be this agenda item, and and the week before when all of the protests had just started for there to be no agenda item on this topic, and something in me just finally said no, 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 no. As a minority attorney who has been in these organizations and for decades now, has just watched them not diversify, have watched them stay, in this case, a very small and elite group that doesn't really want to grow much because everyone is such good friends. And you're talking about less than 2%? Diverse, maybe less than that. And I mean not diverse, as in not just no black or Asian or Latina, Latina, Latino. I'm talking even very few female attorneys in this group. And, and when you get into a group like this, there's the school of thought is, well... If I get in, then I can pave the way for others. And that's what most uh, minorities um, think is, well, if I get in the group, then I can um, create an awareness and exposure and they will continue to embrace diversity and grow. But that doesn't happen. It really doesn't happen very often. Sometimes it'll happen in baby steps. 
But the organizations keep saying, well, we got to talk about this. You know, we got to look at getting some more diversity. Yeah, we need more diversity. And there's a topic that just comes up constantly and you see nothing actually happening or changing. And I thought to myself, I know it's an honor to be in this group. I benefit greatly from being in the group. I learn a lot. I get to make friendships and relationships with people that are inspiring to me. And yet, no. I don't want to be in an elite group that is not diverse. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to have to pave the way when the way isn't being paved. If you're in a group that's not diverse and there's not a diversity plan, then that group is never going to become diverse. Where's the plan? How are you going to do it? Just going to happen? It's not going to happen. Decades and decades of people wanting to be with their friends in different groups means that they are not going to be diverse organizations unless there is a plan and a way for new people to come in. When I wrote the email to the group telling them that if they're not going to become diverse, I'm out, um, several people wrote back to me. Not a lot, but several. Um, including one who is really quite an iconic figure, African-American female, very well-known lawyer, wonderful lawyer. She encouraged me to stay the course and pave the way. But I think that for me personally, if I'm with an organization that hasn't taken real steps to change and to diversify beyond three or four members who are minority attorneys, I just think that all I'm doing by my presence in that organization is empowering them to think that they have become diversified when they haven't. All of us are struggling with COVID lockdowns and then understanding the scope and magnitude of our country and its race relation problems and the issues surrounding the militarization of the police. It is not a time that we should just be filled with anger and bitterness. We need to harness all of our humanity to look for solutions. But meanwhile, our protesters exercising their First Amendment rights need to be respected and cared for. And to the extent our public officials are not out there making sure that people are able to freely exercise their constitutional rights without being injured by flashbang grenades, pepper spray, mace, rubber bullets, or real bullets, 
I love this country. I love what we are guaranteed in terms of our ability to express ourselves and the amount of freedom that we are given to live our lives. But that doesn't mean that everything is fine. It should stay the same as it is. We need change. And we need more than anything to put our smart heads together as a country, some of the most brilliant minds ever in the whole entire world, and come up with some solutions. My final words are my pet peeve. My pet peeve right now starting with my Supreme Court, are all the letters, the tweets, the ads, the Instagram posts, the emails, all of the words coming from every corporation, museum, group of people, I like interior design, so the interior designers talking about how Black Lives Matter and everything that they're doing uh, in the future to make sure that real change happens. Stop bragging about what you think might happen if you put your mind to it and just start doing All those words are nothing but empty promises. They are just words. They're, rever- they're, they're, they're the reverse of, a, of the boy who c- cried wolf. We're tuning it out. Everyone now wants to jump on the we support the protester or we support Black Lives Matter bandwagon. Everyone can say we support free speech. Stop talking and do something. That's my pet peeve. Do something. Over and out.